Let's begin. Let's begin. Welcome to another episode of Mosaic Station. Um, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading this uh, podcast episode. Um, my name is Chris uh, Yang, pronouns he, him, his. I'm the director of the Mosaic Cross Cultural Center. Um, and today we are joined for a very special episode by um, uh, Rishi Kumar, who uh, is a um, uh, candidate uh, for the 18th Congressional District in California. Um, and he is joining us today to uh, talk with us a little bit to um, tell us um, a little bit about who he is, a little bit about his platform. Um, you know, uh, one of the reasons why, you know, we do the podcast for our students is because we want to try to inform our students about uh, various issues. And right now, um, one of the most important things we can do is uh, kind of explain to our students um, a little bit more about who some of our local candidates are, about um, what their platforms are, and um, Rishi Kumar has very generously offered to spend some time with us today to uh, kind of um, uh, tell us a little bit about who he is, what his platforms are, um, and allow us to kind of talk and have a dialogue around um, the importance of not just um, uh, what some of his passion areas are, but um, also how um, he might intend to try to tackle those things. Um, and then joining us also um, and leading our discussion actually today is uh, Sharon Singh, Program Coordinator for uh, the Mosaic Cross Cultural Center. Sharon, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, this is Sharon. Uh, thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Mosaic Station. Uh, we're super excited to have this conversation with some, um, some folks who are really here to represent us. and. Um, see how we can connect, right? Um, especially now more than ever, it's really important for us to pay attention to what's happening on the local levels of our government as well and to really hear who is going to be uh, trying to represent us. I'm really excited to um, have this chat with Rishi. Um, Rishi, did you want to introduce yourself? All right, uh, thank you so much uh, for the invitation, uh, Chris and Sharon. Very nice to meet you. So let me just quickly introduce myself and provide you a little bit context to our run. So, so firstly, I'm a high-tech executive in Silicon Valley, working for companies like IBM Cisco and understand the intricacies of our innovation economy from the inside. And uh, truly speaking, we have never had an elected leader representing Silicon Valley in Congress who is uh, technologically, uh, uh, someone's, someone calls uh, our uh, elected leaders in Congress as technologically illiterate. And I think there is some, some uh, uh, you know, there is some truth to that based upon what we saw with the Zuckerberg and Pichai hearing uh, many months back, you know. So I'm also a California Democratic Party delegate and uh, executive board member. So my, my political foray started in uh, 2013 when uh, I teamed up with one of the state senators uh, to run for delegate in the California Democratic Party. And uh, that turned out to be, uh, you know, ended up on the top spot. There were about 35 people running. And I never knew that uh, that would be the outcome because I didn't really think of myself as, uh, as someone who was uh, political. But uh, that led to an opportunity because I've always been an activist uh, taking on the fight for different causes. And uh, 
that was uh, showing me a path. And we said, okay, let's find a platform. We ended up running for the Saratoga City Council. And we took on a couple key challenges for our community. And during the re-election of 2018, we were re-elected with the most votes in the 60 years election history of Saratoga. And this is what public service is about. It's about solving problems and making a difference with the people. And uh, today we have a lot of career politicians uh, who are not really invested in solving the big challenges, but many of them are just interested in uh, having a paycheck. And uh, the infighting that I see in Washington is just very appalling when there are big challenges happening with yeah. coronavirus and with the racial inequality. And that's the opportunity that someone like me, a very, uh, very different type of politician. And I call myself, I'm a Democrat, but I don't believe in going left or right, but working for the people with people-centric behavior. So mm -hmm. I call myself as somebody who's unbought, uh, rep representing the people. I'm a capitalist progressive, a Silicon Valley tech insider, not a career politician. And I do not take any PAC money or special interest group money. And uh, some, some of the very few candidates across the United States that, uh, that refuses to do that and uh, this is what differentiates our run and keeping it squarely on the people. I'm running against Congresswoman Anna Eshu, who's the number one recipient of pharma money in United States Congress as the House Health Subcommittee. And uh, you know the legislation that she has passed directly reflect upon the campaign contributions. That's not a good thing, you know. So I, I, I call it, uh, I'm there for the people providing services uh, cheaper, faster, better. So that's a quick uh, introduction of myself. Thank you. Thank you for introducing yourself. Um, so jumping into it, you know, you kind of touched about uh, touched on this in your introduction. Um, you know, you started your activism, um, but can you kind of share the moment that you realized, you know, or the calling, I guess, you know, when did you realize like, this is what I want to do and this is why I want to do it? It was, I, I think, baby steps along the way. I still remember that moment, you know, when uh, we moved into Saratoga, we had moved from Michigan and uh, our community, our neighbors were not connected. Mm. And I said, maybe I can solve that problem. So I printed out flyers and I was going door to door. And the very first door that I stood outside, I was working for IBM in those days. And I'm like, you know, do I really need to do that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I stood outside for like five minutes dealing with my fears as to what will happen when someone opens the door. And I still go back to that moment as if it happened yesterday, because that was a key defining moment in my life. If I had not done that, you know, I would not be running for Congress here today. Mm -hmm. Then when you look at, you know, our businesses in Saratoga, they're always constantly hurting. And I said, let's do something fun to bring uh, foot traffic from all parts of uh, Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And we launched something which is called uh, Saratoga's Got Talent, uh, bringing in everybody from Saratoga to perform in a coffee shop that led to us raising money for the senior center and uh, it became an annual talent competition. So we believe in solving problems. You know, when you look at uh, looking at the challenges of Sammy Zawada Company, when their profits went from twenty-two million dollars to fifty-two million dollars, mm -hmm. you know, it affected the citizens of five cities: uh, San Jose, Las Caras, Montecino, Campbell, and Saratoga. Mm -hmm. And out of the thirty elected leaders, there was really only one who stepped up and challenged San Jose Water Company. And the long story short is we have rejected, reduced, suspended seven water rate increases. Mm. And how did we do that? We rolled out a water app to make it easier for people to protest. And mm. when it came to crime, we had over 100 neighborhood meetings. You know, burglaries in Saratoga are going up every year. And we dropped the burglaries the most compared to any other Silicon Valley city. So it created a deep resonance in me that someone like me can solve the big challenges. 
Mm. And there are big challenges that we're dealing with traffic issues, healthcare issues. We have burglaries that are still going all over, you know, car break-ins. I mean, I cannot park my car at AMC Mercado. When I do, I leave my car windows open because somebody's going to smash the window. I mean, this is a sad state of Silicon Valley. And our elected leaders are falling asleep on the wheel. And they are, you know, whining and dining with the lobbyists. And that's not the state of America we need. And that's the reason why someone like me is running. And that has created a sense of civic responsibility in me, that we need to go out there and address these types of challenges. And in fact, we need to change the culture of politicians in America. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. You know, we're, um, we are a, a you know, cross-cultural center on a campus. Um, and so, you know, I would like to kind of ask you, you know, as college students who are now, you know, approaching elections and being able to vote, you know, how, how do you see our college students uh, maybe get involved with you or get involved in their local politics? You know, it's very simple. Uh, we are a grassroots movement. We don't have a paid staffer. Mm -hmm. And uh, we rely upon people like you and me to, to support this campaign. And we have been campaigning all the way since uh, uh, February of 2019. Mm -hmm. And it's been a great runway. Uh, we have uh, created a huge difference in terms of a historic, call it, call it a historic uh, run. For the very first time, uh, we have had a Democratic Party challenger who has made it past the primary for the first mm -hmm. time in 28 years. I mean, mm -hmm. we have never had a challenger make it past. And we have raised more, more money than any other challenger in the history of uh, this particular district. You know, mm -hmm. and, and that's a saying, you know, I think uh, seriously, this is the very first time that Congresswoman Anna issue is being challenged. And the, the problem with politics in this country is that you know, everybody sort of games the system. They kind of coast by, they kind of coast along, you know, and, and really nobody is examining, you know, what are the challenges? What are problems they have solved? And this is where we need to test our politicians and, and have a little bit more engagement. So what I ask is of our students, you know, Elon Musk uh, the other day, he, he was tweeting and he said that uh, our gerontocracy politicians are out of touch, are completely out of touch with reality. You know, gerontocracy is the, the autocracy of the older generation of politicians. And I think it's time we shifted that because they are completely out of touch. They have a skewed sense of reality and uh, do they really have the energy to solve these big problems that lie ahead of us? So mm -hmm. I think the very first call to action for San Jose, student, San Jose State University students, Spartans, I've been to the campus uh, many times. I love being there. And uh, what I would do is, uh, you know, I think it's time for, for us to vote. You know, I think I've seen some stats like 19% of the millennials end up voting. And that's really sad. You know, I mean, uh, you know, right now with the, with the racial inequality, I see everybody jumping in and protesting and doing all that kind of stuff. But what I would really ask is, you know, I think all these protests, uh, these things are good. You know, it's sort of uh, creating a very powerful movement of voice. Mm -hmm. But I really ask you, everyone to do one thing, please vote. In fact, how many have not registered to vote? How many of them, you know, do not care about voting? They do not understand candidates. They don't take a keen interest. So my call to action is please vote because because of you know our younger population we can shift this uh, this uh, the, the issues that we have with politics in this country you know it's kind of gone a wrong path and that's my number one thing and secondly when you see a candidate I'm not asking you to join my campaign 
But if you see the right kind of candidate who has the right set of values, immerse yourself into supporting that. You know, when you see something bad, if you're going to look away, you know, that will tend to take over the world. And to some extent, this is what is happening in America. You know, our American people have looked away from everything bad happening around us. And this is the situation where we are in, where we are pandemic unprepared. I mean, Congresswoman Anna Eshu, you can look up her San Jose uh, Mercury News uh, op-ed piece she wrote. And she said, I've been working 15 years behind the scenes to make sure America is pandemic prepared. I mean, what a sad statement that is. You know, as the chair of the House Health Subcommittee, we expected more from Congresswoman Anna Eshu. There are 700,000 opioid deaths that have happened in this country. I think we can do better. We can do better with electing the right type of politicians. And so my take is please vote. Mm-hmm. And secondly, at the local level, at the local level, get involved with the race and go out and make a difference. Get your candidate, the right can- and candidates to win these elections because this is how from the ground up, you can change the culture of our country. You can change the culture of Washington. You know, we, we, call it, we talk about draining the swamp. And to some extent, it's true on both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, I think our stimulus package did not quite hit the, the mom and pop shop, the pizza shop owners who really needed it. It went to the Kentucky Fried Chickens of the world. There are people who are suffering, people who cannot yeah. pay rent, people who are hungry, people cannot put food on the table, people don't have health care. They're dealing with a crisis and this is how America helps them. This is a sad state of America. So I, it, I invite every youth of San Jose State University to jump in and work with all your heart, put in all your time into this, because truly, if we collaborate together, we can make a huge difference in this country. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Rishi. I, you know, I think, um, speaking on behalf of at least students that we've interacted with at Mosaic, you know, I think a lot of our students, and, and they probably have a lot of peers as well, Feel, who feel this way, it's not that they don't want to vote or mm-hmm. it's not like they're disinterested in voting. I think one of the issues that comes up for a lot of our students is that they constantly are faced with a slate of candidates who don't feel like they're reaching out to students. Right. Um, they're faced with candidates who seem like they are trying to appeal to corporations mm-hmm. or appeal to the wealthy, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, for capitalistic purposes. And so as a result, our students feel like none of the candidates actually can speak to structural issues or right. speak to issues that are, that are really affecting our students. Um, so first of all, I want to thank you for, for coming on our podcast. You know, I think um, that in of itself is a great step in, towards, in terms of trying to address some of the students that we have who frequent our center. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question I want to pose to you is, um, you know, uh, in terms of reaching out to students and reaching out to the youth um, uh, who are um, more activist-minded now than any other generation, right? right. Um, what do you foresee, you know, your campaign or your, you know, were you to be elected, your time in office? Um, how, how are you going to engage um, the, the folks who are, who are living in our communities, mm-hmm. who, uh, not that they may be callous, but that they don't feel like they have elected leaders who represent them. Right. Like, how, how do you commit to that? Right, because that's been the trend, right? Like, mm-hmm. oftentimes, and you even said this, right? Like, we, we elect folks, right? And then um, there's no collaboration after they're in office, right? So how... How would you work to kind of change that? 
So, you know, I, I'll take the example of our Indian American generation here in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. And uh, what happens is uh, when people are running for office, you know, what they do is they look at, uh, you know, we, we profile people who are high propensity voters. Because at the end of the day, you know, we have limited time in a campaign and we have to be very targeted. You know, all sorts of analytics and all that kind of data goes into how we are running a campaign. So what I tell our Indian, Indian American voters is that if you don't vote, if you don't vote, then they are not going to be knocking on your door. And they will skip by and go to the next door because uh, your voice will always be stifled because you're not voting. So the vote is the most powerful voice. So now it's a catch-22 situation. You know, do I, as, as Indian Americans, do I expect the politicians to come and talk to me? You know, I think uh, we have a lot of Indian Americans who have very vibrant social media presence, you know, so they will show up to a meeting with a politician, take pictures and post it on Facebook, like look at my connections. But that doesn't help. Because at the end of the day, you know, your voice has to be heard. And with that, the very first step, the very first step, you know, it belongs to us Indian Americans to make sure that we are voting. And that's when we can have a powerful voice. Otherwise, nobody cares about a voice. So I think this applies to the youth as well. This applies to the San Jose State University youth as well. If we are not going to vote, you know, why would somebody come out and talk to me? As simple as that. I mean, I have taken the time to be on campus. You know, this was at uh, one of the centers where we had a diversity meeting, it was very poorly attended. I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had five or six diverse candidates from all parts of Silicon Valley who showed up, elected leaders like me. There, were, there was someone running for Congress like me who was there. And we had barely 20, 25 students there, you know. I mean, that's not very reflective of a good event. So it's like next time when I'm invited, you know, I would have to think twice that, hey, do I really need to take the time if this is, that is a lack of interest? So I think the onus is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very candid because I'm not a politician. You know, I, I speak my thoughts. And this is the reason why someone like me is able to address these types of problems because you don't shirk behind lofty words and, and you are basically making up stories or whatever, right? I'm going to be speaking the truth here. And the truth is, I think the onus lies upon the students to get out and vote and make it a movement across the country where this time in November, you are uprooting out these politicians. You know, there was another uh, Twitter post that I saw and this venture capital investor, a very well-known name of Silicon Valley posted that it's taking a civil unrest and it's taking the COVID-19 challenges of a new world that is finally, finally realization is dawning upon people that uh, we have to elect the right kind of leaders because it could be a difference between life and death. And that is such a true statement. I mean, we take things for granted in this country. You know, our youth take things granted for in this country. And even in fact, our Silicon Valley residents take things granted for in in in, in this beautiful Silicon Valley, right? I mean, everything is great. But one false move, and we see what happened with coronavirus. I mean, we were the laughing stock of the world. I mean, you know, there were third, third world countries that perform better than us. So that this is the time where the youth needs to shift. You know, you need to invite people on campus. You need to engage because, you know, the world doesn't come calling to me. I could have been waiting and said, oh, I have some great ideas for the world. And I'll wait for the world to come to me and then I'll work on it, right? It doesn't work like that. I had to jump in. I had to roll my sleeves. I had to go on a hot summer day 
2016, I was going door to door just by myself, dropping flyers to people, invite them because a burglary had happened in the neighborhood, right, as a council member. And five people showed up. But I had the commitment to keep doing that. And we had three neighborhood watch programs before I got started. We made it 70 neighborhood watch programs in Saratoga. That's the commitment we all need to have. We cannot sit on the sidelines and, and, and scream that, okay, nobody listens to our voice. The onus is upon me, upon me to make a difference. So jump in, jump in with all your might. You know, complaining, that's not for us. You have to jump in and show what we can do together. I appreciate, I appreciate the sentiment, uh, Rishi. And I think, I think you're right in terms of, um, you know, wanting to commit to action. Um, I do think many of our students are committed to action, though. Mm -hmm. They are participating in a lot of community groups um, and um, community organizations that provide uh, for the needs of the community. Um, you know, a lot of our students participate in um, not, not just, you know, political action, but they participate in organizations that provide for um, you know, uh, econo the economic care of our community that provide for basic needs support for our community. A lot of our students participate in um, these organizations that uh, provide for free education um, or provide for the advocacy of um, undocumented uh, residents um, that provide for the advocacy of, um, you know, enhancing the, um, the cultural education of our public education system. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of our, our students, you know, um, yeah, I hear you when you say, you know, you want them to go vote um, and, you know, it, it demonstrates their power, political power. Right. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think a lot of our students for past candidates have been afraid of saying, well, you know, we can vote for one candidate or we can vote for the other, but if both candidates are just gonna do the same thing in office, then that is a waste of the energy that they could be using to instead invest in, you know, the, you know, um, programs like debug or, you know, the, um, the a peace and justice center in San Jose, um, or, um, you know, these other, you know, uh, Anakabayan or these other community organizations yeah. that provide for the community. Um, so I guess, I guess the reason I bring this up is I, you know, um, uh, I really want to uh, give you an opportunity to talk some, about some of your passion areas or your platforms in which you can show our students that if they do, you know, vote for you, then in what ways are your platforms going to affect their lives? Great, great question. I really like this uh, discussion. So, you know, essentially, uh, Christopher, to answer mm -hmm. your question, you know, I think one of the biggest drain on our country is uh, the big money in politics. Mm -hmm. And so let me give you an example. You know, you look at uh, Congresswoman Anna Eshu, who's in her 28th year, She's 78 years old. And, uh, you know, at a town hall meeting last year, there was a gun high student, or maybe it was a Palo Alto high student in uh, Palo Alto. And he asked, 16-year-old who's asking Congressman Anishu, that Congressman Anishu, you take so much money from Big Pharma, you know, and then you're the chair of the House Health Subcommittee. You know, isn't that a conflict of interest? You know, how can we do better? I mean, this is the tragedy playing out in America. You know, and, and then you hear of the story where, uh, where a newly elected congressional leader in 2018 was taken by a very veteran uh, Democratic Party leader mm -hmm. to a lunch meeting on the very first day in Washington. And that was a bunch of lobbyists in that room. You know, you are being uh, indoctrinated into a system. It's a culture. It's a swamp culture of Washington that we need to shift. 
And, and this is the one reason why I ask people to consider me because I have pledged to never accept fact money or special interest group money. And people have come to my Facebook page and say, look, Rishi, you will turn like other politicians. I'm like, no, I will never take PAC money or special interest group money. You know why? There is a very simple reason why. Because for me, it's not about being reelected again and again and again, because I have alternate source of income. Because I have been a high-tech executive. I know I have a place to land in case something doesn't go right. So I work based on conviction because my belief is to solve the big challenges. You know, <clears throat> when you look at my city council, I would literally put in 40, 50 hours a week with my city council stuff and all the community and activism that I did. Because for me, this was an opportunity to solve problems. You know, I was, I was working in the tech, but I say, if I'm going to take time out of my life to be in public service, you know, it's not a world of glamour. You know, I really want to make a difference with respect to the big challenges. So let me tell you what the top challenges are. Mm -hmm. So climate change is number one challenge. It's the biggest challenge that we have. And we have a plan on that. So if you go to my website, rishikumar.com, there is a very nice search box defined for you. Make it very easy. I'll tell you, you go to a lot of congressional sites in the country, uh, candidates running for Congress, or even our incumbents, you will not find a search box. As simple as that. We have a search box. You put in a keyword and out will pop out You know, different links that will provide you uh, different statements from our candidacy that we are running for. So you go and search for climate change. Out will pop out my views on climate change and what I plan to do. Okay, so that's my global agenda. Mm -hmm. At a national level, my agenda is with respect to healthcare. You know, we need to create a Medicare for all program for the country. And we are completely exposed to the world. You know, you look at Alex Azar, from uh, President Trump's cabinet, you know, he talked about vaccination and the fact that vaccination will not be affordable to all. Mm -hmm. And uh, some might get it, some may not get it. You know, is that America that we want to define? Okay, so 50% of the country will not get the vaccination because they cannot afford it and they will keep infecting each other with coronavirus. I think it has truly exposed the coronavirus world. We need a social net. We need to look at options that when we have a crisis, or in, in fact, even without a crisis, you know, how can we provide, uh, bridge the divide that we have, the income inequality that we have? We have to figure out a mechanism to do that, that includes having a social net program, because there are issues that will hit us no matter who we are, mm -hmm. no matter who we are. And, and that leads to people becoming homeless. You know, I grew up in a middle class back in Bombay, and there was poverty all around me and, you know, it's like we had food on the table. We, we, I got a great education. And that's why I ended up in the United States to study mechanical engineer at the University of Connecticut. But not everybody gets those opportunities. Let's have some empathy, please. Let's have some empathy. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out that not everybody is going to have those same type of opportunities. You know what we did, Christopher? Mm -hmm. We launched the uh, entrepreneurship boot camp, mm -hmm. working with Mayor Sam Licardo. Uh, we had a meeting and I said, Sam, let's put this into the most disadvantaged districts of San Jose. Let's tell me which ones, you know, where can we do this? Because I want to create opportunities for, you know, for young students who don't have role models. Mm -hmm. They see the tech economy. They are using perhaps a laptop at school, but they see it going by. They never have the opportunity to dip into that. 
So that's the that's the opportunity we have. You know, we need to make it better. And you know, we 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 trained over two thousand kids with entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. young middle school, high school kids, because they don't have aunts and uncles who can be role models for them to be part of the tech economy. So we need to bridge that inequality. That is near and dear to my aspiration. Then when you look at a regional level, you know, I think uh, many of the students might be on campus. Many of them might be driving to campus. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you look at the traffic challenges we have, the commute times have gone 3x. And in the next five years, you know, we'll have a little dip now because of the economy, but it will come back up. And you will see that commute times will go 4x and 5x. Mm-hmm. And imagine being stuck at, uh, let's, let's call it, uh, at, uh, you, know, you, you look at uh, Almaden and Sunol, you know, at that intersection, which is pretty close to to San Jose State University, mm-hmm. what happens if you're stuck there for 20 minutes trying to get past? And then you go to the next slide, you're again stuck there for 20 minutes. That could be the future of Silicon Valley because I've seen that in different parts of the world. You know, when you have put in housing and you don't have traffic is 2D, you know, roads are 2D. And so you are dealing with that. So we have to deal, come up with a plan for a transportation system. Our elected leaders, none of them have put up plans together. When I see Congresswoman Anna Eshoo's uh, candidate statement for the March primary, she talked about funding $12 million for different transportation projects, which is like peanuts. How have you really addressed the traffic challenges? Where is the vision coming from? You know, people have been in office for 28 years. There is no vision. You know, so we have a vision plan. Go to my website, rishikumar.com, search for 21 minutes. Out will pop white paper. We talk about building a mega Silicon Valley, creating 10 times more affordable housing and once and for all solving the traffic challenges. So that's our regional challenge. At the local level, burglaries and car break-ins. I mean, how many students have lost their laptops because they broke into your car? I can guarantee you if, you, if we are in a room of 30 students, at least five to 10 would have, have had their cars broken into. That is the scary state of Silicon Valley. We can do better with that. That's my agenda, but I'll tell you the agenda which is more important to me. Mm-hmm. Right now, racial inequality. You know, we, are, we have a plan for that. We are putting together a policy paper. We have had discussions. Yesterday, we had the Minneapolis council member, uh, council member Cunningham, you know, who is the first transgender elected to, to Minneapolis. And we invited him for a podcast discussion. We had a very good discussion. We are talking to black student union leaders to understand how do we, how do we address that, right? When you look at coronavirus, I had 25 town hall meetings in about eight weeks talking about the issues. Mm-hmm. The world is going to be radically different. There are economic challenges. You know, so coronavirus is the number one challenge that we have right now. The post-COVID-19 world is going to be a lot more impacted. So that is my challenge. But in the context of all these different issues, this is the, also the time for us to invest in infrastructure. You know, This is not the time to be to be shy. This is the time to be bold and to be creative and make that investment. And that's what I pledge to do as your congressman. You know, you will see what we have done, Chris and Sharon, is mm-hmm. our, our team, we rolled out a na- uh, neighborhood pandemic preparedness team program and we recruited volunteers from all over Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And we were calling and asking seniors, how can I help? Do you need help with groceries and medication? Because they're all quarantined. They're sheltered in place. They don't want to right. step out. Right. And we have helped thousands of people in the last uh, 10 weeks, thousands, podcast. We have built masks. Our interns are building 3D masks and dropping it off at Valley Medical Center. You know, this is the help we need, not the stand on the sidelines and play politics, which is what many of our politicians in America are doing. Are they truly invested to solve the problems? So that's my pledge. When I get elected, 
when there is a crisis like this, I will make sure that me and my team, we will be calling every, every family of this district, asking them how can we help? And mm -hmm. that's what elected leaders should do. And that's the reason why I ask, you know, join our team because together we can make a huge difference with respect to the challenges we have. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, um, you know, thank you for sharing. You know, I think you broke it down very well in the, you know, regional and local um, and uh, global levels of your platform. Um, you know, I think our students will connect to the issues of traffic. They will connect to the issues of healthcare um, and food insecurity and um, you know, what is life going to look like um, after all of this and when we're coming back together, um, you know, and um, thank you for sharing what you've been also doing with your team, you know, as far as around COVID-19. Um, you know, I'd like to kind of hear a little bit more about, um, you know, what, what are some of the ways that, um, you know, you plan to kind of uh, work more with um, community organizations, right? I think you touched on it a little bit, but uh, what are some ways that you, you know, are, um, if you were to be elected for, for um, Congress, right, what are some ways that you plan to still keep connected to this community? Um, you know, I think that might we have students who are working, like Chris was saying, very closely with community organizations, but um, do you have any plans for that? Absolutely. This is uh, something that uh, really defined my political success because as uh, soon as I got elected on the city council, you know, I launched this effort of meeting every Saturday morning at a coffee shop. Mm. Very simple. You know, for two hours between 10 a.m., to noon on Saturdays, I would just sit at the coffee shop waiting for people to show up. Mm -hmm. I mean, one time it was a July 4th weekend and I forgot to make a social media post that I'll be out. My wife and I, we were in Vegas and then I'm getting pinged and I'm getting calls that, hey, Rishi, I'm here at the coffee shop. Where are you? Right. So that's <laughs> what people expected of us. Right. So when you look at uh, the neighborhood pandemic uh, preparedness team, you know, we were successful in recruiting, getting volunteers, not just adults, but also students. Mm. from all parts of Silicon Valley. So I don't know if uh, Sharon and Chris, have you ever been to Boulder Creek or Ben Lamont or, or mm -hmm. Arrow? Oh, I mean, yeah. there, are, mm -hmm. there are 31 uh, cities, you know, for all practical purposes, we'll call them cities that are part of this congressional district. You know, we have gone to every city. We have, we have met with voters in every city, met with neighbors in every city, having conversations. We have had town hall meetings. We pledged to do three face-to-face -face town hall meetings a month. Mm -hmm. And Congressman NISU has probably done like a couple a year, mm -hmm. 28 years. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of uh, teleconference calls that are done, but uh, you know, face-to-face -face town hall meetings, you know, Congressman Ro Khanna does that and he brings in like 400, 500 people. I've been to those meetings and there is no parking spot there. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and I'm pretty sure he's done it uh, on campus as well. Mm -hmm. But that's a level of commitment because the dialogue, the conversation is very, very important. So when you look at the city of Saratoga, to give you one more example, you know, I'm first on people's minds because you know why? Because I'm constantly communicating with people. You know, anytime there's a challenge, you know, I'm letting them know about what the issue is, what the agenda is, and inviting them to have a conversation with me. 
there was a big mountain binary annexation project issue. I had a town hall meeting just to talk about that. You know, reaching out and actively engaging with people is the most important aspect. So after we get elected, what will we do? So I can, I can guarantee you this, we'll continue to have town hall meetings. Mm-hmm. We talk about bringing student leaders of the area and having meetings with them in a small round table setting, different disparate groups to bring them together because I want to hear from everybody. Mm-hmm. So it'll be two things, right? It's always two things. You know, you just cannot get what you want. So what I say is, tell me what your problem is and I will tell you what my problem is. And together we can collaborate and make a difference because it's a collaborative effort. I cannot do anything on my own. And if I can help you and you can help me, we can make a huge difference with the problem. Similarly, when you look at the world of tech, what, I have already, what we are already working on, in fact, we've already done that. You know, we are inviting tech leaders to join us in roundtable conference. And that includes the CEOs of the Valley. And my question would be two things. The agenda would be two things, only two things. What problems do you have? And here are my problems. Because this is how we can make things better. There is a huge opportunity for public-private partnership to invest into our community. You know, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, they can build out affordable housing right on campus. They have big campuses. We should put housing there because our engineers are leaving Silicon Valley because they cannot find affordable housing. And this concept exists all across the world. Many countries of the world have this concept where, where the employers build housing for their employees right on campus. And then as part of that, here is the, the best part of the story. 20% of the housing units are allocated for our firefighters, for our teachers. Mm. You know, this is what we need to do. You know, we need to approach it in a new way. You know, I think, unfortunately, our, our politicians are all embedded with the lobbyists and it's like, you know, they don't see it any other way. You have to have a fresh thinking to the problem and that's why you need fresh leaders jumping in. This is a movement that is going to happen and we'll see a whole new breed of elected leaders joining Congress, joining, uh, you know, different leadership at every tier of society and together we'll take back America and to make a big difference. Right. Um, you know, I think... You know, Chris and I are obviously educators in higher edu- in the field of higher education. Um, this may be a selfish question, but you know, I think now more than ever we see the disparities and the lack of resources for you know K to twelve and college. You know, we uh, a lot of teachers just had to kind of you know within a week figure it out and figure out you know how to. Um, change their curriculum, how to talk to families, you know, come up with packets and, you know, with uncertainty of what tomorrow or the day after is going to look like. Um, You know, I would love to hear kind of your take on how, or your platform, right, around education um, and then specifically higher education because, you know, Silicon Valley, and especially because San Jose State kind of is known for um, preparing our students, uh, most of our students go into Silicon Valley, right? So how do, you know, how do you plan on encouraging that or, you know, um, supporting the educators who are part of this district? Yep, very good question. And, you know, education is near and dear. Like I said, we, we ran robotics boot camp, entrepreneurship boot camp to train the youth of our community. And these were all very free programs. These are all free programs, no charge. 
and we would structure this program based on volunteers. So this is very, very important for me because for me to, to come out from a middle class back in India, you know, my dad was, uh, is an electrical engineer and, uh, and my mom, you know, she, she was uh, a homemaker and she was there for us. But uh, the reason why I succeeded was primarily because of the value for education. And this is the future of America. You know, there is a huge emphasis that we need to make with education. And how do we do that, right? So let me give you an example. Like today, I have uh, very many interns, a few hundred interns that have joined our summer program. I invite the students of San Jose State University also to join the internship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have different tracks in there. We have social media, we have uh, analytics, we have communications, we have policy, you know, lots of great tracks and they're all doing some phenomenal work, very highly intelligent. But I see, you know, very few of them come from the STEM track. Very few of them come from that background of computer science and coding because even spite of an economy like this, they are able to find summer internship projects that they are able to go out and, and make an earning while working on a core interest that they have. Whereas I see a lot of other majors, you know, they, they are looking around and it's very tough because even the, because all the businesses also closed, it's very hard to find these types of jobs. Right. And many of them are looking at what we can do. So here is my, my ask, right? When we look at university education, we should clearly tie it into a benefit plan in terms of what kind of jobs will you get? Because I think you know, everybody sort of walks in into a program without having any idea in terms of when they finish their four years, what will they do from that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I went to mechanical engineering and uh, you know, finding a career I would say it was relatively easy. It wasn't that easy, but I struggled my way through it because I was an international student on an F1 student visa. Mm. And I somehow scampered and I figured my way out. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at somebody who's a history major, for example, you know, chances of them finding a job becomes a little bit harder. And especially now, America is getting a lot more competitive. So I think our education system needs to be tied into, into the jobs. So that brings me, and so that clear definition should be defined at our universities to tell them, if you choose this major, you know, here is where our university graduates ended up, what kind of jobs they got, because, and, and that should be not like data that is sitting somewhere. You need to lead with that information right. so that our can make the right choices, right? That's one. Secondly, mm -hmm. vocational education. You know, you look at, I don't think so, we have truly emphasized that. We have, uh, 10 great universities, UCs uh, that we have in the state of California. And, uh, and then we have community colleges and community colleges are a gateway into the UCs. But what about, you know, just learning two years of social media and jumping into, into the world of tech. And this applies more to, I, I think, you know, everybody's sort of like uh, high achieving students over here. They are going to go through a four year college education, which is good. But there are certain parts of the country where somebody is just happy to have a two-year social media education. And they can be part of the tech economy with that education because we need that type of skills and the millennials have those skills. So we need to clearly create vocational education that severely is lacking in this country mm -hmm. to provide job opportunities completely tied to the local economy. Mm -hmm. You know, it has to be like, when you look at the Silicon Valley tech industry, there are certain types of jobs which go unfulfilled and then they have to open up an office in Seattle or Austin or Boston, and they, they find people over there. We cannot find resources over here. So we have to provide that education with vocational. 
Thirdly, we spend about $50,000 per prisoner in California, and we spend about $15,000 per child for K-12 education in California. How sad is that? We got to fix that system. Yeah. I mean, this is really sad. Education should we invest in education or should we invest in the prisoners? With the prisoners, we want rehabilitation, right? I mean, we want to make sure that, you know, they have an opportunity for education, which goes back to vocational education, provide them the opportunity. I went to University of Connecticut, Caron Butler. He played for the NBA for like 10 plus years. He was a prisoner as a juvenile. You know, he was in the, in the system and uh, he suddenly clicked in his head that, you know, I'm good at playing basketball. Maybe this is my way out. You know, but it's, it's not like everybody has that light bulb that clicks in the head. They are forever on that path. I think we need to provide education. You know, that is a fundamental shift that needs to happen. These are some ideas that we have. When you look at, uh, for example, I was on the K-12 uh, computer science panel, the computer science strategic implementation panel that was put together by the California Department of Education. Mm -hmm. And we have rolled out a curriculum for K-12 computer science from kindergarten to 12th grade where every child, every public school child will learn the fundamentals of computer science. Very, very important. So in 2022, this goes live. These are shifts that needs to happen. California is, what, 46th in, the, in education in the, in, the, in the United States? Number 46. How sad is that? These are things we need to shift here, you know, and these are the most urgent problems we have because the education completely defines the future of a country. You know, America is very prosperous because we have a lot of resources, but in the post-COVID-19 world, we are in jeopardy here because some of the country might take over. You know, there are countries that are breathing down our neck. They are ready to take our, take our share of the economy. We have to better watch out and it all goes back to education. I, I really appreciate you saying that, Rishi, because I think, you know, we um, have a tendency to not really be critical about the investment of education in our state. Right. And I think, you know, we have a tendency to think, well, you know, if you get a four-year degree, you go work for Google, then you're going to be fine, which, you know, realistically is true. However, we neglect a lot of the things that you talk about in terms of vocational education, in mm -hmm. terms of alternative educations, in terms of funding um, more education towards resources and individuals who can make a difference in our community rather than, you know, like the investment in the prison system. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as, as we think about, you know, our investment in community, which is really what education is, is our investment community. Um, you know, we, we have all these other things in which we can um, kind of link together and say, you know, as we invest in education, we also invest in healthcare, we also invest in, you know, um, our, the, the individuals who are living in our community. Um, and so, you know, I want to kind of give you an opportunity to also talk a little bit about healthcare. You brought it up before about the social debt that you want to create. Um, and, you know, I want to kind of give you a little bit of space to talk about the investment in healthcare that your, your um, platform would be able to, to provide for in our community. So, <clears throat> great question, Chris. <clears throat> so, you know, everybody talks about Medicare for All and how, how beautiful and magical it is. But, you know, we are very unlike a politician. You know, what I talk about, Chris, is obviously I believe in this uh, Medicare for All program and we need to do that. And there are huge efficiencies, huge efficiencies that will happen with Medicare for All that you cannot even imagine. Where do you find the money for it? You know, when you look at, let's give you a quick example, right? Because it always comes up and I know some student is like, Rishi is gonna fund Medicare for All, where we get, where, where, where will we get the money, right? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So you look at, uh, you know, let's say we have a Kaiser Permanente insurance uh, in mm-hmm. healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the wider payer that we have with, uh, and uh, we are paying hundred dollars fees. You know, mm-hmm. when we go to the doctor's office, twenty-five dollar goes towards uh, administrivia. You know, towards administration fees. But when you look at uh, look at a, a, a public, uh, a, you know, public sector healthcare program, Medicare for all, single payer, you know, it'll be only three percent. Mm-hmm. So that's the efficiency you will attain. Secondly. I believe the insurance companies, they are a big drain on the economy because they are gouging the consumer, they're gouging, gouging the provider as well. Mm-hmm. Just go look it up. I'm not making up facts here. Mm-hmm. You take them out from the ecosystem and the system will become so much better. The angst will disappear because you call them one, you call and talk to one agent, they'll say your bill is $250. You call someone else, they'll say it's 50 bucks, right? How does that vary like that? It's crazy. The system is just stacked for gouging. I mean, everybody's gouging each other. There's greed, rampant greed playing out in the country. 700,000 OPI deaths. I'll repeat that again and again because of pharma greed. No, they want to make money. So that needs to be challenged. But I'll talk about something else. So in, in, in case you would like to see a paper with uh, how will Rishi fund Medicare for all, you will find that paper on our website. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about something else. Uh, I'm going to talk about healthcare analytics. So when you look at coronavirus, now this is, I bet you, not one politician in this country, not one congressional leader is even thinking about this because it goes back to the the assumption or not the assumption, it's actually a statement by a congressional leader that our congressional leaders in the United States are technologically illiterate. You know, so what I talk about is healthcare analytics. When you bring the economy down to its knees like this, you know, how can we have an electronic medical record system for healthcare, a private, secure, publicly managed, public sector managed healthcare system? President Obama tried to roll that out. It kind of fell flat. Epic is the largest electronic medical record system. It is completely proprietary. It's for for profit. And uh, I don't think so. The U.S. government will ever have access to it. It's time we defined a new EMR system to bring all these data points of healthcare information into one portal that makes it easy for us to access our information. You know, do you have a single portal? You know, my dad, I actually created an Excel spreadsheet of, uh, for him, which includes all his medical, in, medical history, medications he's taking, all that kind of stuff, right? There is nothing like that ex- that exists in the country. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. I think the, the impact would be phenomenal. And here is the impact that will be. Because when we have a situation like coronavirus, we can run through, evaluate that system apply analytics to it, some predictive analytics, look at the current state of the virus, you know, how it is growing, morphing, all that kind of stuff. And you can very quickly identify what? When these patients are going to the hospital, there is a pattern to it. There is a pattern to it. If you identify that pattern, now you can look at that electronic medical record system and you can say, here is 20% of the population that is most vulnerable. You stay at home. The rest of the 80%, please go out and about. You are allowed to be out there. Now, America... We followed the model of China and the rest of the country, that uh, rest of the world, that, oh, let's shut down our economy. We could have done something better. And this is where we need a new breed of politicians who can think outside the box. Don't just follow the herd down the cliff. You know, I mean, this is what we do. And in fact, you know, I, I talk about the Democratic Party as well. You know, everybody says, oh, that politician walks on water. It's a herd mentality. People are not willing to question the system. And this is what Congressman Khanna, Khanna he actually found out, you know, he actually uncovered all the issues with the uh, Congressman Honda. 
And that led to a victory because nobody was really calling out the big issues. And this is the reason why Chris and Sharon, we're going to win this race because people have been writing for 10, 15 years with all the inadequacies of Congresswoman Anna issue that nobody pays heed to. But we are now bringing it out in these types of conversations. We are bringing it out and it's time we shifted the politics of this country. We shifted the politics of Silicon Valley to really address the challenges of uh, the state we are, where we are in today. Um, well, I, I mean, first of all, I want to say th thank you very much for sharing yeah. that. You know, um, yeah. I think uh, uh, a lot of our students would agree with you that it's, mm -hmm. you can't just follow a banner, mm -hmm. um, that you really have to be critical about what the options are and what the considerations are, um, and that we have to tackle things as, as problems and not platforms, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciate you providing that perspective, Rishi. Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, uh, I think we went through quite a few points. I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your, your time and your schedule. Um, so I uh, kind of want to just leave the door open if there are any final th thoughts that you have, mm -hmm. anything that you want to uh, expand upon that you didn't feel like you get a chance to. Um, this is your time right now. Absolutely. You know, I, when, when you look at it, I'll, I'll, I'll actually start with the story. You mm -hmm. know, there was a, a meeting. It was actually publicized in the news media. So there was a meeting, uh, and these days we are having all Zoom online meetings, right? <laughs> there was a meeting where, where Congresswoman Anna Eshoo was the keynote speaker. And uh, as it turned out, she couldn't get into Zoom. You know? I mean, uh, she, she couldn't get into that meeting. And uh, so, you know, when you look at Congressman Anna Eshoo, she was elected in 1992. Mm -hmm. And probably many, many years, even before any student of this campus were born. And, uh, and the country has moved in many different directions. You know, we had the dot-com boom. We are looking at AI machine learning, automation. We are talking about healthcare analytics. How mm -hmm. can politicians keep up? You know, no wonder, you know, Elon Musk says that uh, the gerontocracy politicians of this country are out of touch. You know, this is the time you need to shift it. And you need to look at fearless leaders because when I'm out there in DC, I can tell you very plain and simple, and I won't be gaming the system there. You know, I'll be testing the system. I'll be putting it to the test because this is how we'll make a difference to the people. At the end of the day, you know, I've heard that they make it very difficult for politicians who don't play ball over there in DC. You know, but we don't have a sense of fear at all. I mean, there is no fear because we are there to solve problems. And as long as we keep the people of Silicon Valley happy, you can put any challenger. This is what they're doing to AOC back there. She has right. tons of they are raising money for the opponents. They want to get AOC out. And, you know, Christopher and Sharon, this is what they said about me here in the city council. You know, someone who was running against me was telling people in Saratoga that I don't want Rishi back on the city council because he's not a team player. Hmm. And this, was the, this is what she was saying. And uh, I was running against the mayor and uh, people said you will lose to the mayor by a few thousand votes. Somebody who lived in Saratoga for many decades. But you know what? We not only beat the mayor handily, we got the most votes in 60 years election history of Saratoga, mm -hmm. which is a statement when you have people-centric values, when you're doing the right thing, you know, you will have a clean conscience and you will sleep well at night <laughs> and nothing will phase you, nothing will bother you. And this is how my politics is. I invite the students to join our team. You know, join our team. It's a grassroots movement. And I'll tell you what, you will discover empowerment like you have never, ever seen before in your life. I guarantee you that the kind of problems we'll work on. And in fact, this will be a journey that will remain with us for the next decade or two. You know, join us, immerse yourself into this race 
and you will be empowered and you will find an amazing energizing effect on your own life. That I pledge to you. You can join me at rishikumar.com. Thank you so much, Sharon and Christopher for the opportunity. And I truly appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rishi, for joining. Uh, thank you, Chris, for helping um, to facilitate and lead this conversation as well. Um, you know, we appreciate uh, you giving your time um, and reaching out to us to be on this podcast and to share, you know, what you're, um, you're, what you're working on and what you will, you know, you, you plan to work on, <laughs> um, you know, um, so yeah, for everyone listening, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Chris I'm happy to be back on campus anytime as soon as it opens up. I'm happy <laughs> to meet with students. You know, and this is what energizes me, as you can clearly tell, right? Absolutely, we're happy to have you too. We'll we'll, uh, we'll work with you to make sure that we can bring you to campus too, so you can talk directly to students and they can ask whatever questions they have of you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you. Um, choosing us, um, you know, so until the next episode, take care. Thank you so much. Bye.